Hey, I'm Lucas. And I'm Jesse. And this is Double Blind. Much of science journalism today has been reduced to quick stories which are light in the details and hide behind overhyped headlines. Our goal with this podcast is to change this. We're on a mission to report breaking science news stories, but to really give you all the details, go into other methods, and have an honest discussion about the implications for your life. So if you're curious, come with us. We think it'll be a lot of fun. This week on Double Blind. Cretaceous world, what we can learn from soft tissue preserved in dinosaur bones. And injectable electronics, would we be healthier as cyborgs? Lucas, why don't you start us off today? Thanks, Jesse. So tell me, have you seen the new Jurassic World movie? I have not. I'm going to go soon, though. Oh, cool. Yeah, neither have I. I'm, I'm hoping to get at that because, well, I love dinosaurs. <laughs> and I was really excited to see kind of an exciting paper that was released last week. I'm guessing the timing of the release was not coincidental. I'm guessing they timed it along with Jurassic World. That's funny. You know, everything we know about dinosaurs comes from the fossil record. It's really our only source of data about these animals that ruled the world for millions of years. And when I say fossil, what do you think of? Uh, I mean, I assume the classic thing is, you know, a piece of rock with the imprint of a snail of some sort from billions of years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. A piece of rock. So you can get imprints and you can also get fossils, which are, you know, were at one point bones or organic matter, which have actually turned to rock over time. Right. Right. So that's what you usually think of when you think of fossils. Mm -hmm. We can also get in really rare instances, fossils which have what scientists call exceptional preservation. Okay. Which is exactly what it sounds like. It's these rare fossils where we see things that we don't usually see. It could be skin, could be feathers, it could even be muscle fibers. Oh, of course. So we don't normally see those things because they biodegrade in a way that the bones don't. Yeah, exactly. We see the things most commonly that are the hardest to degrade, like mm -hmm. bones and teeth and stuff like that. Right. These are very rare and really usually only occur when there's a very particular set of environmental conditions. Something's buried really fast or maybe something falls into a pit of tar or something like that. Mm -hmm. But there was this really cool study released last week from a bunch of British researchers who looked at eight fossils from the Cretaceous period. So the Cretaceous period was 145 to 66 million years ago. Uh, and immediately before it was the Jurassic period, the one the movie is named after. Mm -hmm. And immediately after it, a giant asteroid slammed into the Earth and <laughs> dinosaurs didn't do so well. Right. So they took eight fossils from the Cretaceous period. These were all dinosaur bones. And the key thing here is they were not exceptionally preserved. Okay. So these, these are just were standard. Standard run-of-the-mill fossils, bones that had turned to rock over millions and millions of years. Got it. And they used an instrument called an electron microscope. Okay. Yeah, so this is, I mean, it's like a light microscope, but instead of using visible light to illuminate something, it uses a beam of electrons. Right, and we can use that to see stuff that's really, really tiny, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. You can get really good resolution with it because you can make a wavelength of an electron mm -hmm. be much, much, much shorter than a wavelength of visible light. Ah. With these really short wavelengths, you can get really, really good resolution 
on really small things. Right. And that's what we use mostly for like really, really tiny, like nano sort of imagery and stuff. Yeah. If you've ever seen those like terrifying pictures of like dust mites and carpet yeah. or, or whatever, that's just what I saw as a kid and it like traumatized me for the rest of my life. No, I think I've seen the same stuff. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> Um, so they use these electron microscopes to look really closely into the interior of these fossilized bones. Okay. Right? To look at really small details. And they saw a number of really interesting small structures. Yeah. Which they actually thought were collagen fibers. And collagen is a structural protein, which is used in the connective tissue of all animals. Okay. And red blood cells. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Now, these were, these were, of course, like, there's not blood sitting in the middle of dinosaur bones. These were mm-hmm. calcified, yes. which means that calcium carbonate has sort of infilled the organic matter. This is the same stuff that limestone's made out of. Okay. But it's maintained the structure of the cells. It maintained the structure of the cells. Wow. On a microscopic scale. That's incredible. Far smaller than you could see with human eye, far smaller than you could see even with a really good light microscope. Wow. So here's the incredible thing. They looked at this. They saw these structures. And they used another instrument called a mass spectrometer. Yeah. And a mass spectrometer essentially takes a substance and it essentially blows it up at a really small scale. (laughs) Then using some really powerful magnets, it tries to separate the atoms of what it's made of and determine what what it's composed of, the composition of something. Yeah. Okay. Using this mass spectrometer, they determined that in these collagen fibers, there were fragments of amino acids present. Okay, so what, I mean, amino acids are precursors to proteins, right? Yeah, they're the building blocks of protein. They actually are organic molecules. Okay, wow. So the thought is these were actually organic molecules from dinosaurs. These were the building blocks of dinosaur proteins. That's very cool. So is this the first time that we've actually been able to, you know, get at those? No. It's not the first time we've been able to. It's the first time without this, you know, condition of exceptional preservation. We've been able to get that type of material just from standard fossils. Yeah, we're getting this material from everyday run-of-the-mill fossils. Okay. This study tells us there might be this really valuable information hidden in fossils that may have been overlooked before. Oh, that's very cool. It is. So all the fossils we've already collected, there could be really cool things that we just haven't looked inside for. Just because we haven't looked hard enough basically. Yeah, literally, we haven't looked close enough to them. That is really neat. That's an exciting implication. I guess the first question is, what we can can we do with this? And I'm sure the thing everyone's wondering is Jurassic Park? Yeah, the, the amber-preserved blood. The amber-preserved DNA, and we've seen here there may be some original organic material building blocks of proteins. Right. Can we do that? And, well, the answer is no. Uh, we can't. Darn. Or maybe that's a good thing. Life doesn't always find a way. Exactly. Um, The problem is DNA decays over time. Mm -hmm. And people have studied this. And they talk about decay in terms of half-lives. Yep. So, like, you hear about radioactive decay. A half-life of a substance is the time it takes half of it to decay. Right. DNA also has a half-life, which describes the time it takes half of the bonds in DNA to break. And so how long is that half-life? 521 years. Okay. So every 521 years, that it's 50% as viable as it was before. Exactly. Okay. So, I mean, DNA is a complicated molecule. It needs to be inside a living cell to be maintained and continuously replicated. Right. Can we ever get DNA from dinosaurs? No. Oh. Could we get DNA from woolly mammoths? 
Maybe. Just because they're more recently extinct. They're more recently extinct. Exactly. Okay. And then there are people trying that. That's interesting. Science science is on it. They'll get back to you about that. So if we can't, you know, recreate Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. bummer. What can we learn from seeing these, you know, tiny structures inside fossils? Yeah. But the researchers speculate that we might be able to learn a lot about metabolic rates of dinosaurs. Right. Because in modern animals, there's a really strong correlation between the metabolic rate, essentially how much energy they use, mm-hmm. and the size of their blood cells. Okay. So that could be one. And the other thing is paleontologists love to classify things and figure out relations between species. Yep. And the more features information you have, the better you can classify things. So right. if you then have this microscopic information of what the collagen of one species looks like or what their blood cells look like that's a whole lot more information into how to fit them into the tree of dinosaur life that's really cool then we get better sort of organization and detail on all that exactly cool i love the idea that there's all this hidden information in fossils we already have we might have all this cool extra information just sitting there in front of us already cataloged just waiting that's so cool So these days, more than ever, we're finding ways to combine technology with biology. We're seeing more and more cases where electronics and prosthetics are being integrated into our bodies in more significant ways. And basically, we're finding more and more ways to integrate technology with our bodies. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of science fiction, cyborg stories and horror stories about how this might go wrong. Of course. And as it turns out, these worlds where our bodies are intrinsically linked with technology are actually closer than we might think. How so? So this study caught my eye because it has some really interesting components to it that I think are pretty profound. For the first time ever, researchers have found a way to inject nanoscale electronics into the body with a syringe. Whoa. So this is like the always you see in like science fiction films. They're in like the sick bay of the spaceship and they're like, we don't know what's wrong with you. We need to inject the nanorobots and is that, so that's what's happening. We're not injecting nanorobots, but we are injecting electronics through a syringe. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And that's pretty incredible. These are not electronics that are actively doing anything in your body. They're not, um, they're not nanobots. They're not going in and changing anything. These particular ones are sensors. So they're being used to monitor you know, neural activity um, in your nerve cells and in other tissues. All right. This study was led by a guy named Charles Labor at Harvard University, and he's been studying the interactions between technology and biology for a long time now. In an earlier study, he discovered that they could grow cells on these scaffolds of nanotubes that they made in a lab. All right. So this is this is sort of like a high-tech Petri dish sort of thing. Exactly. So they're kind of creating these cyborg cells that are growing in, on, and around this electronic scaffold that can monitor them for electrical activity. Whoa. Yeah. It's- Whoa. So, okay, so this, this is not like, you know, putting electrodes on someone's head and trying to monitor brain activity from that. This is monitoring the electrical activity in individual cells. Yeah. So this this is this was from this earlier study where what they did was they had this these scaffolds, imagine this sort of mesh of uh, tiny little wires and the cells are growing on and around them. So we're actually able to measure really specific electrical activity. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So then someone on his team realized that when they took the scaffold, this mesh off of the supporting structure, it was super flexible. 
but it still recorded all the necessary information. And so some genius got the idea of sucking it up with a needle. (laughs) This is literally how this happened. And as it turns out, they found that they could inject that mesh back into the tissue and around 90% of the electronics in the mesh survived. Wow. So it's monitoring electrical activity in cells. How are we getting the data off of it? Well, right now, there still needs to be a wired connection to the in and out points of the mesh. So we just plug a person in. Exactly. So we're, we're plugging a person in. <laughs> okay, sounds good. But the key thing is that the electronics themselves that are in the body doing the measuring are not irritating and inflaming the body like other current sort of insertable, flexible, quote-unquote, electronics do now. Right. We have technologies and devices that we can insert into the body to measure in reasonable detail the electrical activity, but they often need to be replaced. The body doesn't like having them in there. Mm -hmm. The key thing about these meshes is that they're incredibly flexible and seem to basically go unnoticed. Wow. Yeah, and they they don't inhibit cell growth at all. So the body doesn't really get bothered that they're in there. Huh. That's incredible. It is. It's really cool. Yeah. Interestingly, I I thought, oh, wow, that's crazy, but it's got to be crazy expensive or difficult or really hard because that's been one of the big barriers to entry with a lot of the medical studies we've been talking about lately. Yeah, absolutely. These are bonkers easy to produce. Really? They're super simple. They basically lay down this dissolvable layer first and then use it to support putting, laying down the wires. Okay. They create that mesh, that grid of wires, and then they dissolve that original support layer. And now they have this perfectly flexible little grid of, of sensor wires. Huh. And they can just suck that right up into a syringe. And then just put it into somebody. Exactly. And it's really wow. not very invasive, and they can get a lot of useful information. Like what? The most interesting use that I saw that they'd found for it was that they could put this mesh into tissue, like let's say cardiac tissue in the heart. Sure. And then test different medications and see how the cells in very specific areas of the heart, reacted to that drug. Whoa. whoa. Yeah. That's that's mind-boggling. So instead of, okay, let's try this drug to improve your heart function, and then waiting a couple weeks and going, hmm, it seems like it's not doing too well, Yeah, they can inject the drug and very quickly go, this is how your cells are responding right. on this super low level to wow. this drug. This is how they're changing their behavior. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, it's it's incredibly interesting in terms of getting detailed information about how our bodies respond to different conditions and different drugs and different stimuli. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 very cool. And just the idea of injecting electronics into the body, I think, is very futuristic and seems very science fiction. Incredibly. So it's also a little scary. It is a little scary. I mean, it's the closest I've seen to us approaching that sort of creepy world of 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 cyborgs basically where we are we are wired in and really integrated yeah absolutely yeah and i mean they're they're gonna keep pursuing this because it's this is brand new in terms of integrated electronics and uh, and monitoring cells in in the body the next big thing that they want to find out is a bit more about how the body reacts to the meshes over a long period of time Uh, okay yeah understandable the living tissue they tested on was mice for this study so we're a ways away from really seeing how this affects human cells, but it does look really positive. That's awesome. Way off in the future, they're hoping to be able to find a way to do wireless connections so they don't need the wired in and out points. I can see why that would be helpful. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe we're not too far off from actually being able to, in addition to now we're getting all this you know, wireless fitness tracking stuff on our phones. Maybe we're not too far off from also being able to 
open up our phone and check an app and see that we have all this data about, oh, this is how your heart tissue is doing right now. And this is how your right. nerve tissue is doing in your brain. Wow. It's pretty interesting. And get a by the minute play by play of how all of the different tissues in your body are behaving at that moment. That's really incredible. Right, that's it for this week. We've got links to all the studies we discussed and more in this episode's show notes. You can find those at our website. That's doubleblindscience.com. We hope you've enjoyed our adventure into this week's latest science news. Check back next week. We're going to have two more new and exciting stories for you. We've been having a ton of fun making this podcast, and we hope you've been having a ton of fun listening to it. If you have, tell your friends. Or if you don't have any friends, just go onto iTunes and leave us a quick review. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Did you see something in the news that you'd like us to talk about? Maybe a headline that seems too good to be true or a story that no one's bothered to explain clearly enough? Give us a shout by email at stories at doubleblindscience.com or on Twitter at doubleblindsci. See you next time. Thanks a lot. Diner, di- diners. <laughs> Everything we know about diners. Everything we know about diners comes from the fossils of the ancient 50s diner. <laughs> um, um. <laughs>